Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Inyash Brodsky. I'm Steven Zuber. And I'm David. David! We actually just had you on last week uh, when we did the whole Jon Stewart thing. Yeah, kinda. I mean, it wasn't really... That was a weird episode. I'm not sure how to classify it. Yeah, it was kind of a crossover... I've been calling it a mind-killer swap cast, which technically wasn't because... For it to be a proper swap cast, it would need to be both a Bayesian conspiracy and Mind Killer episode. Okay. So, like, we'd have needed to have Steven and Jason, mm-hmm. but like, then that's way talk too many about people. News, but in a in a Bayesian conspiracy sort of way. Right. So, I call this the Bayesian killers. Oh, wait, the, <laughs> the the Mind conspiracy. There mm-hmm. we go. It's okay. We got to yeah, work no, on they, it a they, bit they, more. They t- it, that's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> It's not as bad as the Bayesian killers. No. Because are we killing Bayesians or are we Bayesians that kill? Either way, it's bad. Find out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, David, you are here actually because you are passing through the state. And yes. And we were like, dude, if you're going to be here on the day we're recording, you should absolutely jump on. Yep. Cool. It almost didn't happen because of catastrophic windshield-related mishaps. But... Oh, okay. How many miles do you have to drive without a windshield? <laughs> None, uh, oh, good. but um, the want of windshield almost uh, meant I couldn't come on this trip, but then I found someone who could do the repair for a not ungodly amount of money in less than 24 hours, so that was nice. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. All right, but before we get into the main topics of stuff, uh, there were a few cool things that I wanted to touch on uh, that are just sort of like... AI slash rationalist related news. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, the first thing that I think is really damn cool is that uh, someone at Less Wrong converted the book one of the sequences into a Zoomer readable format. Um, the uh, Zoomer being, of course, Generation Z, the youngins now these days. Uh, apparently, they just don't like to read, which to be fair, I mean, I guess I don't either. Uh, I read. Have you guys found that you read a lot less long form than you used to? Do what? <laughs> I, that was I, the perfect I response. I didn't grok that because I was I was opening the link that was in the show notes about the Zoomer thing. I feel like there was probably one generation of people panicking about all the youngins reading when books were first a thing, mm-hmm. and then every generation since then has been worried that the youngins aren't reading enough. So. I'm going to just go ahead and keep on uh, betting with the house on that one. I will. I'd, I was going to say I'll believe it when I see it, but I can't think of how I would plausibly see it. So unless someone has some really convincing evidence that they'd like to share with me, I'm going to go ahead and press F to doubt. See, we're the, we're the first generation to be correct in worrying that the youngins aren't reading enough. Well, my worry <laughs> is that I'm not reading as much. Like, I'm not saying necessarily even young ones. I'm just saying humans at this time. Because I used to read and have a much longer time attention span. And I don't know, maybe it's because I'm old and my brain is decaying and parts of it are dying on me. Or <laughs> or if it's the, the phone influence. But I still find myself reading long form when it's entertaining stuff. Like Scott Alexander, right? He always yeah. reads amazing. But I maybe just the thing about Twitter and Discord and things like that is it's much easier to read mediocre crap when it's only a few sentences. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to find good long form writing like Scott Alexander. That's probably what it is. That's what I'm going to blame it on. It's not you. It's the quality of content that the world is producing for you. 
Well, I was also much less picky when I was younger. Like, children that's, have no taste at all. That's because there wasn't good stuff when you were younger, right? I suppose and now, so. now you've been spoiled by having enjoyed good things to consume. Yeah. So, yeah. so, for everyone who occasionally reads my book reviews on my blog, you're welcome. I go through a lot of pain to find the one good book a year. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I've, I've also been reading far less. Like, anyways... Uh, this person um, texted a friend, a 19-year-old male, uh, about the sequences, and he said, yeah, I'll def check it out sometime, and then never read anything. Uh, another friend, smart guy, uh, like, very ex- high SATs, doing very good in school's math team, whatever, hasn't read a single book during the entirety of his high school, which I thought was really interesting. But uh, <laughs> the the thing that this poster Wait, pointed out... Uh- hasn't read a single book for like outside of class no at all during high school how it's totally possible to get by without reading the books that tell you to read eh. there are summaries spark notes for the lit books you have to read and for everything else you don't actually have to read the textbook so your your teachers didn't like have half the questions on the test be about nitpicky little details just to make sure you actually read and paid attention to the nitpicky little details in my experience teachers did about 20 percent of the questions like that and there was a 25 percent chance of getting the multiple choice question right anyway so <laughs> you'd get like a you know medium b plus or minus a few percent if you uh guessed if you rolled well on the uh the nitpicky questions i was really annoyed by the nitpicky questions because i got hit by one even so this was the oh, princess oh, bride book me, right don't get me wrong they're super annoying and yeah. probably a bad idea but I'm just saying, like, as a matter of fact, I couldn't have gotten through my high school without doing the assigned reading. So I'm just trying to figure out if my high school was weird <laughs> or if, uh, like, standards have slipped or what. Could be both. I don't know. Could be the teachers realize now that nitpicky details don't mean shit and it doesn't matter. Skimming by has gotten easier, maybe. You know, more thorough, easier accessible cliff notes. I, I really don't like the speed reading thing either because i don't believe people actually comprehend very much when they speed read but on the other hand it seems like they comprehend the few things they actually need to i I meant uh, i meant meant more succinct bullet points on like whatever cliff notes thing you're reading apparently most nonfiction books could be six page essays i think that's probably (laughs) true yeah like like i've said before you know when i'm reading any sort of uh you know like i'm not going to buy will mccaskill's the what we owe the future Mm mm-hmm because I've heard him talk about it for five hours in various podcasts. Mm-hmm. So I know the entire thesis of it, and I'm as sold as I'm going to be on it, right? I yeah. feel like the people who say that are also the kind of people who read the abstracts of academic papers <laughs> and nothing else. <laughs> and those people are not good. Okay, the people who read the abstracts of the academic papers and nothing else is 95% of working academics i agree okay <laughs> well then the, this is why we have the scientific environment that we do it's 0.01 reasons yeah it's 0.01 percent of people who say do it, your own research or i've that, done my own research they, they haven't read abstracts of papers they've read someone yeah. on facebook who said something yeah. well no they've read someone on facebook's comment on <laughs> an article they shared which was written by a journalist who just read the abstract but believe the science, David. <laughs> okay, so anyways, this this uh, post uh, says that there is a particular genre of TikTok videos. Uh, there is text, a Reddit post specifically, broken into subparagraph chunks of text, 
and they are rendered sequentially on screen while a text-to-speech program reads them to the user, and this text is overlaid upon a background video, which is usually either gameplay from the mobile game Subway Surfers or parkour footage from Minecraft. What? Uh Uh-huh. TikTok is so fucking weird. (laughs) You're not allowed to say that. You're a Zoomer. (laughs) You're allowed to have whatever opinions you'd like to. Oh, man. I'm trying to... I I want to surround myself only with stereotypes. TikTok is super weird. Yes, it is. I'm I'm not on it, but I am on Reddit, and I see people share videos from there once in a while. Mm -hmm. And did this just start? Was I late to the, the... the program where like there's this weird robot voice that like they just have read random shit rather than like a person saying it. TikTok has some really interesting absurdist humor going on right now. It's not even like absurdist. It's just like describing, oh look, here's this dog and you know it plays with the chickens and like whatever, like some cute video that I like to watch. Right? It sounds kind of absurd to me. It's adorable. Oh okay. But no no. It, it, so it's like you know whatever cute news subreddit. But they've got like this robot and like, and then we found this dog in the, in the gutter on the drive home. And it's like, why not just have a person say that? Or just text. Why do I need a, a robot with a weird choppy voice reading it to me? So, I feel like that's new. So with TikTok specifically, it's because they do this dumb thing where they have one of their garbage TTS robots automatically read out any text that is in their videos. I don't know why. It's probably a communist Chinese plot because, <laughs> and, and like that part was a joke, but seriously, listeners, uh, chi- TikTok is actually literally Chinese spyware. Yeah. Um, I think everyone knows about this. It, it, don't, don't install it or open the website on any device where you have information you don't want personally shared with Xi Jinping. <laughs> Just in case there's anyone who doesn't know. I mean... I think most people just don't care. They're like, I'm not going to live in China. He can have all the data he wants from my phone. Anyways, these videos are often recommended by the algorithm, implying that they are among the most engaging videos that our civilization produces. Not sure how true that is, but it is apparently a thing that some people really like and helps them get through text. So uh, he, I'm assuming he, D. Kermani, no idea. He or she or they have created videos of every single post in book one, map and territory of rationality from AI to zombies. And there's links to all these videos on TikTok that are exactly as described, uh, text appearing on screen, being written by text to voice over these videos. So now Zoomers can read book one as well if they would like to. And I will include a link to it in the show notes. The next section is about the FTX collapse. It originally aired a few days ago. We're leaving it in for archival purposes. However, if you've already heard it, feel free to skip to the next chapter, which starts a little past minute 54. The next thing is, I think that is happening actually right now. It is a story in development, so we are not up on whatever the latest thing is. But have you heard about the whole FTX crypto crash that just happened? Yes, the last I heard was that SBF was missing and possibly in hiding. <laughs> I th- I believe he's actually still in the Bahamas. Uh, we should give people a quick rundown as to what we're talking about. Uh, now, nah, just let him go off that. <laughs> FTX is a uh, cryptocurrency exchange, uh, apparently one of the top three biggest cryptocurrency exchanges, um, with Coinbase and Binance being the other two. Sounds right. Okay. SBF was the guy who founded it and ran it. Sam Bankman-Fried, for those of you who've been paying attention to the uh, 
EA podcast circuit for the last year-ish. Because his whole thing was he was worth, was it triple-digit billions or double-digit billions? Double-digit billions. Anyway, in any case, this guy was, you know, the an, an elite rich, and mm-hmm. he was like, oh, it's all going, almost all of it's going to go to effective charities. Yes. So that's all I knew about him. Yeah. I, I, all I heard about this crash or whatever is that there's a crash or whatever. That's the extent of my knowledge. So the thing that happened is that he ran two companies, FTX as the exchange and Alameda something. I don't even know what Alameda did. But a lot of people gave their money to FTX, uh, like you would give your money to Robinhood or something, to hold on to and do trading with it. Then he took that money and gave it to Alameda, which is his other company, when Alameda was in some huge financial trouble. And he was like, oh, you know what? You just need to bail them out. They can make that money back and then I'll reimburse FTX. No big deal. This is grossly immoral, uh, unethical, against a lot of laws, but just completely unethical to take other people's money and gamble with it. And then if you win, you know, you reimburse them and no one ever knows. And if you lose, oh, whoops, they're all fucked. And what happened was he did lose. Uh, All that money went away. There are now thousands of people who have lost their life savings or a big chunk of their life savings. Uh, I know that a lot of people that worked for FTX really drank the Kool-Aid and put their entire paycheck into FTX whenever they got it, and they have no money now. It it was a huge financial fraud. Um, I believe the Toronto Teachers Union pension put almost $100 million in it, and they don't have money now. So uh, FTX fucked a lot of people really hard to the tune of... It's many billions of dollars are, uh, are have been stolen. Bernie Madoff off with. The big thing about why we're talking about this is because this is strongly related to the EA and rationalist community because SBF was uh, in the EA and rationalist circles. He was kind of a hero because he made all this money. Uh, he right now is 30, so he's been making this money mainly in his late 20s. He walked the walk. He was quote-unquote one of us uh he gave a fair chunk of money to effective altruism and had a future fund set up at ftx to give tens of billions more uh it was planned out and now there are a lot of charities whose funding is disappeared uh, including things for like uh, nuclear safety and pandemic preparedness and a lot of people who were in the charitable career tracks that uh suddenly have had their future financing disappeared on them which I mean, it's a risky take when you work in those sorts of industries, but it still sucks. And I guess the big thing for us specifically, why I brought this up, I don't know if this was on the record, but people certainly got the impression that he believed things like it's okay to rob a bank if the cause is good enough. It's Hey, he's a man of his word. <laughs> yeah. Okay to commit wide-scale fraud as long as the consequences outweigh it by a wide enough margin. I was and... I was going to make a case. I, I am sorry to keep interrupting. No, go ahead. I was going to make a case at the end of this that, like, you know, this might not have been the worst move for him to make, even though it didn't work out. Because, mm-hmm. like, maybe it was only, you know, one in ten that it wasn't going to work out. <laughs> and so if he did manage to double his impact, yeah. right, if this went well, mm-hmm. um, which I don't think it sounded like it was going to double his money or anything, but... Mm-hmm. 
that this could have had you know an expected positive outcome right so any economist R- remind would... me never to loan money to steven please okay uh, thank you inyash no I'm, problem. I'm, I'm, this, is not how, this isn't how i work with my money my money just sits and checking not doing fuck all yeah a couple of my hot takes uh have been validated by this saga one is utilitarians are mostly just using utilitarianism to justify whatever they w- selfishly wanted to do and the other is don't trust people who are kind of weird looking. I didn't think he was kind of weird looking. He was kind of weird looking. I think he looks charming. Apparently he was also charming if you met him in person. Okay. All right. So the thing you brought up is actually a thing a number of people uh, have said, which is why I'm bringing this up. Uh, that be- you shouldn't trust weird looking people? <laughs> no. The other thing about utilitarianism. It, it's mostly the same people that are always saying that. The ones that like to shit on utilitarianism and like, oh, no, it's evil and bad. And all effective altruists and long-termists are actually evil people um, because of the the argument like Stephen made um, they, <laughs> that, oh, maybe it was a good idea after all. I mean... I think sometimes that might be the case. I, I'm not gonna. I'm, you know, I'm not gonna go into examples right now, but I, I think that's complete bullshit because everybody is saying basically this was awful and immoral, and he's a horrible person, and obviously it was not worth the risk of burning the commons and destroying—not destroying, but greatly marring both the name of EA and the social trust that people in EA had with each other. Like this is. This is going to be a massive blow to people's ability to trust each other and coordinate because of this exploitation. And will it? I'll, I'll let you finish. But... I, I think it will. And the thing is, there is na- sociopaths who use naive utilitarianism to justify whatever they want, as you said, right? Oh, it'll have good enough effects in the future that I can do whatever I want right now. And that's bullshit. More than and, just sociopaths would go on. And, and, but that's bullshit. And everyone knows it's bullshit. And to the matter at hand, like Eliezer Yudkowsky wrote in 2008, The Ends Do Not Justify the Means Among Humans, where he says... Don't ever do this sort of thing. You are not running on trusted hardware. Yeah, but Yudkowsky, and especially Sequences era Yudkowsky, I don't know if he's changed this, pretty clearly is not like a full-blown utilitarianism. No, or no. Or utilitarian. He, like, he's especially the... if you read Methods of Rationality, like, that's a story of a naive utilitarian becoming not a utilitarian (laughs) he specifically has said many times that humans should not be utilitarians they should be like maybe three quarters utilitarian and the the pithy joke version of that which i love is um all the cool kids are deontologists the rules say you should be a utilitarian but being a virtue ethicist has the best outcomes cool utilitarian is specifically a morality for gods it's for things who are omnipotent or at least omniscient and, and can see what all the results are and uh, humans are not that so no human should be a complete utilitarian and i think it sucks that uh sbf sbf right it's f bankman fried fried okay yeah did this and i think it's stupid that he's trying to justify it with utilitarianism but also anyone who thinks that this is utilitarianism done right has not been reading or interacting with effective altruism or rationalism for any serious amount of time. So I'm going to steel man the case that this was good utilitarianism in the interest of proving that even good utilitarianism is bad and you shouldn't be one. Okay. So if I were Bankman Fried, the way I'd be defending myself is like, 
good utilitarianism requires you to take positive expected value but uncertain bets. Mm -hmm. And that's what he did. He just happened to lose. And if you hadn't had the recession and the credit crunch and so on while crypto was still getting off the ground, then he would have been the Jeff Bezos for the next generation of the internet. And all of that money would have gone into effective charities. That's probably what he would say, yes, but everybody disagrees with him. Okay, but are they agreeing with him for good reasons, or are they just trying to distance themselves from a loser? They're agreeing with him for good reasons, specifically because humans are running uncorrupted hardware and cannot trust themselves, and also they cannot... Okay, yeah, most people aren't making that argument, though. They're saying, no, he messed up the calculations. No, no, they're not. Everyone who's arguing against this is saying specifically that humans can't be complete utilitarians. Uh, Every Everyone is an aggressive claim, and I admit right. I'm, everyone... I'm kind of filtered with my internet bubble on bad EA takes a bit more so than good EA takes. I mean, everyone who has any sort of reputation in the EA community is saying that it's a seeing a combination of humans are corrupted hardware and can't make these sorts of calculations and also that he failed <laughs> because partly because he's running on corrupted hardware of taking into effect the things like burning the commons and destroying trust and the only reason i think one of the favorite things i saw is the only reason we are such a rich society and we have the ability to have all this excess wealth that we can use for helping other people is because we do have high social trust and uh, great cooperation. And when you do something like this, you are damaging all that and do it enough times and you'll destroy it entirely. And you don't take that kind of risk, not with benefits this small. Benefits that can be measured in dollars, right? Like you you, you would do that for something like, I will prevent a nuclear... The benefits of having a commons can be measured in dollars. Like the things you're you right. Missed, the thing, the, the benefits you listed not... are like economic growth and right. you, advanced economies and you stuff. Are correct. Not having a nuclear bomb go off can be measured in dollars as well. But uh, it's a little harder. I'll grant you. Yes, but certainly not something like how much crypto can I reap over the next few years to put into effective charities. I feel like that's going to hurt the crypto enthusiasts more than it'll hurt the EA enthusiasts. Like, yeah. as some, as an advocate for effective altruism, I don't find this the least bit disconcerting. Like, it's it's a yeah, drag but... that this guy did this, mm-hmm. and it's it it does take money out of uh, places that it you know would have been better off going. Mm-hmm. But like, it, it's not like I learned that GiveWell is gambling money away, right? Right. Like that, that's actually that's me actually trying to give charitable money mm-hmm. and somebody lying about what they're doing with it. Mm-hmm. This guy was like, yeah, I'll invest your money safely and smartly, and then he didn't. Which right. is different than like an EA like organization fucking you, right? So, so that's true, but essentially, if that's where you're taking your comfort, then you've given up on doing anything other than preaching to the choir. Because like the the issue is not that more crypto bros will stop being crypto bros, then EAs will stop being EAs. It's that. Soccer moms will associate both crypto and EA with Ponzi schemes. Maybe. Maybe I'm missing the mark on how popular this guy was. I mean, he was a billionaire (laughs) quite a few times over. Right, but 
most I, I I don't know if soccer moms know who Jeff Bezos I, I'm is. I'm sure that I'm well, sure, but I'm sure there are some teachers in Toronto who know who he is. I'm sure you know everyone who's met anyone that he fucked over will know who he is forever. But like the thing is, I didn't know who he was until today either. I knew there were several billionaires that got rich in part due to crypto that were financing EA stuff. Uh, but I didn't know his name. I didn't know the details of his company or whatever. I don't give a fuck about crypto, but I know his name now, and I know what he did, and I know his justification. And a lot of people who knew absolutely nothing about this are going to know about him and possibly likely even the connection the connection to ea like i heard about this on npr news yesterday about ftx collapsing and wiping out tens of billions of dollars and did they talk about the ea angle no but that's gonna come out i guess i mean i don't know how much that could possibly hurt the ea community you know unless people are gonna just it's this gonna be like a fox news like holding up this one example of somebody who did it wrong and be like look it sucks I mean, I kind of hope they f- focus on the polycule thing because that's a, you know, sexy sex cult angle, like literally <laughs> sex news. And then that'll distract from the EA stuff. But that, that I, would, I think that has as much impact as anything else, as in, that, you know, nothing. He was just a bad, immoral person. Yeah. I, I hope that too, because um, I want uh, poly to become more marginalized so that fuck you david hang on hear me out okay so that hopefully kink also gets a bit more marginalized because it's becoming too vanilla and i want an (laughs) instant i want uh an injection of punk rock back into the scene yeah that's fair once all the normies are doing it so you said that he's making these justifications that it was the right thing Mm -hmm. are we is he actually doing that or is this the speculation that so I was I was jokingly defending like, well, there was an expected outcome that was great, mm-hmm. you know, but is that actually what he's saying? Or is he is he just keeping quiet in the Bahamas like he should be for being this kind of financial criminal? That's a good question. I mean, there's a lot of things he said in the past that are being dredged up. I don't know if that's what he's saying literally right now. I think he's being quiet at the moment and declaring bankruptcy and all that. Uh but and possibly stealing a lot of money. Um but that's something we'll get into in the mind killers because that's like news stuff rather than rationalist talk. Um, one of the things he said a year ago in on a podcast with Cowan was uh, Cowan asked him if there was a button you could push that had a 51% chance of creating a duplicate Earth. You've heard of this. I heard that because I listened to Tyler Cowan, Cowan yesterday. I haven't heard of it. And I imagine some of your listeners won't have either. So can you finish yeah. saying what the question was? The question was, you have a button you can push, which will make a duplicate Earth uh, yeah. in a parallel universe or outside of our light cone or somewhere so it's not just duplicating effort here there's actually going to be you're doubling the utility you're doubling the lives and the happiness and everything like everything that's good on earth uh 51 chance it'll do that 49 percent chance that all the earths are destroyed so either either you spin up a second matrix or you delete this one yeah yeah well not this one you delete this one and all other matrixes assuming there are others right? and he said yeah i push the button and he was like even though there's a 49 percent chance you're gonna destroy earth and he's like yeah, it's it's net positive utility. You'd be dumb not to. He's like, okay, well then after that, you're presented the button again. And he's like, well then you push it again. Now you have four Earths. And he's like, or you have no Earths. You can just St. Petersburg paradox your way into having wiping out all human life. And he's like, or you St. Petersburg paradox your way into having infinite utility. Checkmate, atheists. <laughs> this, this is why I don't like utilitarianism. That... That's not util- That's not good utilitarianism. Thank you, because I, you know, as somebody who likes, oh, 
who likes pointing fun at like religious people. <laughs> I wouldn't point like I'm it's, it's high school edgelord to point at like the suicide bomber and be like, that's why I don't like religion. Mm-hmm. Like granted that's an edge case as to why I don't like it, but mm-hmm. it's more like that. That is not the representative sample of the average religious person. Right. Right. And so this guy, I feel like if he's doubling down on the 51% thing over and over, I feel like he might just be trolling. Right. I think that's how he lost all the money and okay, wiped well, out at least... tens of thousands of people and uh, ruined things. All right. So if he, if he, if he sticks to his guns in the Bahamas, and he's like, no, I made the right call. You know, it was the, it was the expectedly good outcome. Then it's like, all right, this guy is kind of not a butters and he sucks. Sorry, let, let's rewind to the uh, that's not good utilitarianism thing. How is that not a blatant no true Scotsman fallacy? Like you're just drawing a circle around all the obvious implications of utilitarianism that suck mm-hmm. and declaring them not real utilitarianism. Basically, which sure on that ground, on those grounds, I guess I'll endorse utilitarianism, <laughs> but that's basically just going to cash out as virtue ethics. So the but with a lot more computational intractability. It, it, I think in general, my my thing where like I'll I'll draw a circle around something and say this is not part of the thing that I consider in utilitarianism is like the things that often with not a number attached to often produce bad outcomes. Like this move that this guy that SBF did uh, produced a very bad outcome. And if if you were to, the kind of person, if this is the way that you knew the world operated or you wanted it to operate, nobody would invest in companies like that, right? right. Um, nobody would would save their money at a bank because the bank also invests your money, right? Mm-hmm. Like this this would actually be terrible. And yeah. so if it has a terrible outcome. I think it's not a very utilitarian thing to endorse. Right. The actual utilitarian calculation is if you keep pushing that button, eventually you're going to get a universe with zero Earths because they all get destroyed, which is negative utility. So you don't push the button. That's the problem with naive utilitarianism. It's super naive and, and doesn't do anything. And it's also why humans can't do utilitarianism because you often can't actually calculate everything. Like in this case, it's super simple to calculate, oh yeah, pretty soon you're going to wipe out everyone so that's stupid and don't do it but there's some cases that are a little bit harder i don't think this was one of those hard cases i think this was like him just wanting to make a lot of money and uh not wanting to admit that his other company was failing and being driven by ego and then you know post hoc rationalizing it that this is not utilitarianism at all this is just someone being an egomaniacal idiot okay sure but if this isn't utilitarianism at all and this is the most utilitarianism-like thing that humans can run on our meat brains, then shouldn't we just give up on the project? Well, no. I mean, as was said before, humans should not do utilitarianism. They should do maybe three-fourths of the way there and actually stick with things like virtue ethics or deontology or something. I think that that's basically the the right approach. I mean, like, you know, you, you can do the utilitarian thing while still sticking to, like, certain axioms that seem to make a lot of sense like i'm not going to violate the dignity of you know somebody else or a stranger or a group of them i will take no chances in destroying the world while doing my my thing but i'm also like if i've got a thousand dollars that i wanted to give to charity for the holidays or whatever i'm not going to give it to the salvation army guy outside king supers mm-hmm. right i'm gonna okay. i'm gonna give it to an effective charity that'll save people mm-hmm. right all right yeah, yeah, it sounds like we pretty much agree. Oh, I think that. we totally agree. I, I, I'm just, again, I'm still kind of riled I up. Think, I guess if you're on board with that, I don't see why you're not on board with Howell's argument. But I guess you were also getting that secondhand from the podcast and not just reading the article itself. Well, I, I was getting it firsthand from him. 
for the listeners, before we started recording, uh, we were talking about Hole's argument on a podcast with Lex Friedman. Was it Lex Friedman? No, it was uh, Russ Roberts. Oh, Russ Roberts. Talks. Okay. So Eric Hole wrote a Substack article on why effective altruism is bad. I assume it'll be in the show notes. Yeah. It's because they're not giving money to Eric Hole. Well, I mean, th- if maybe Desai is more coherent than him, like talking about it, but he he was just being the most like ridiculously disingenuous straw man wielding person I've seen since I watched Dinesh D'Souza debate Peter Singer in 2007. Like, Which is basically what's happening right now with SBF and people saying this is why EAs are evil, but also it's a simple enough argument that people are going to be like, oh yeah, this pattern matches to what all the villains do in movies. Where they're like, oh, it's for the greater good, therefore I will commit atrocities. So Meh. I I have not listened to the podcast. I have read the article, and I found it not particularly strawman-y or incoherent. So okay. probably he's just not uh not good at doing the interview thing, um, and just like couldn't present it as a conversation. Sounds good. No, I'll definitely read it. I mean, I'm intrigued. And he, he did say a couple times, like, you know, I'm just doing this from memory, so I might be wrong. But then he would go on. They would go on to like discuss that for ten minutes. And it's like you were actually wrong. Mm-hmm. And so you're. Now you're just wasting everyone's time patting yourself on the back for how right you are to see through this, you know, obvious falsehood when you made up that falsehood. Um, but, you know, when you're writing stuff down, you get more time to look it up and, and read your sentence over again and fix it. And as somebody who can't talk talk good most of the time, I'm very sympathetic to the fact that he might have misspoken on a couple of things. So, <sighs> so that, that was a whole thing that happened. You'll hear more about the nitty gritty details on the next Mind Killer episode because I'm going to put it in there. <laughs> if david or west doesn't we're we're definitely going to mention it cool yeah i mean it's it's interesting it's big news it, it would hurt the community if we learned that peter singer was in fact torturing children in his basement you know like wait but would it i i think that because he he's an actual icon of the community i right? mean sbf kind of was not to the singer level but he was a lot of the money driving the community forward and that's that's fair maybe i you know he mostly stood off my radar. Like I did hear him on Sam Harris's podcast. Norby was on there in the last few years, but I only remember that he was on there because Harris opened up his most recent episode mentioning the crash and said, I had him on the show. Okay. And so like he was peripheral to my attention, but he wasn't somebody that maybe, maybe he was this for other people though, where it's like this, where I heard about, you know, I can do good better. Mm-hmm. And I found this person really inspiring and oh shit, he sucks. Mm-hmm. Like that actually is a drag. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, We'll see how it shakes out. Hope it doesn't set things back too bad. Yeah. I don't really approve of, like, movement effective altruism. Why is that? Just because I think it's got a lot of the uh, politics and power dynamics that a lot of movements that start with good principles end up developing approximately immediately. Can you say what those are? Because I don't know what those are. Um... I can't remember any examples offhand, but um, but like I mean, an I don't exam- need an example. An example would be like a rich asshole rocketing to celebrity because he started throwing a bunch of money around. Mm-hmm. Uh, just m- more like banally, I guess. Um, people in EA- in movement EA tend to be big fans of Rob Wiblin. I find him a like, I kind of like 80,000 Hours, but I find Rob Wiblin himself to be, like, a fairly uninteresting thinker. He's a good interviewer, but, like, his contributions to his interviews are, like, 
not really much and being a charismatic popularizer is important yeah i mean that's more of a like i really don't get the hype and i think it's just that like he's probably some sort of influential behind the scenes uh or maybe i don't know he just has a really good twitter game or something um so you you dislike ea because it has people that are popular even though they aren't the smartest people the smartest people the people doing the best work you know whatever um but but again that's movement effective altruism i'm more on board with like the principles Mm -hmm. but principles without a movement is uh as paul would say uh faith without works is meaningless like so i principles without a movement does nothing so one of my big takeaways from virtue ethics that's really like helped me as a person just psychologically is and this is the like virtue ethics is more about being a good person than about doing good things sort of thing virtue is about you and your struggle and your journey Mm -hmm. not about saving the world with the theory being that like if the world is populated by virtuous people focusing on their own personal virtue then it will be saved you know uh and so so that's like uh, in that sense like i see effective altruism as being uh something that a virtue should track namely prudence but uh i want to agree so like when i donate money i try to donate it effectively Mm -hmm. and i try to donate more than i think i should just like running my basic money allocation software. I do think that there's some individual projects like GiveWell trying to identify what those effective charities are that are useful just because of basic economies of scale. But all that is to say, I think there's fairly significant risk that this does do some serious damage to movement effective altruism. I'm just not entirely convinced that that'll be a bad thing on net. I want to both agree and disagree with you on the virtuousness thing, because I do think everyone should cultivate virtues in themselves, as we talked about in our Virtue Ethics podcast. But this was a thing that occurred to me while I was going to various cathedrals uh, in London. There's all these statues of people who did great things uh, for their community, and The thing is, when you're a peasant in England, oftentimes you don't have much opportunity to do much of anything. Most people aren't in the best health, either physically or mentally. They don't have all the resources. They're just trying to get by. And that's what virtue ethics is trying to help you with. But there's some people who are lucky that were born into wealth or born with extraordinarily healthy bodies or extraordinarily good mental focus and got lucky with the interest lottery and are interested in things like cell biology which are going to help the human race and it is virtuous for them to use those extra gifts to advance humankind or advance their community and i think it's kind of right for them to be honored even though that they just got lucky by having good genes and access to resources but they still did a good thing that helped everyone out and it's nice to commemorate them and to be thankful that these people were around to make communities better and i think if you're in that if you're in that part of your life, um, which more and more people can be nowadays because our society is so rich, you should be cultivating the virtue of 
helping people if you can and as effectively as you can. So I agree that we should celebrate people like that, but, and I'm not sure how much of this is me generalizing from fictional evidence, I imagine the people who get statues made of them, like, I don't know enough about saints and sainthood to say, but like the, the say, soldiers who win the Medal of Honor, they're not the ones who are in boot camp saying, like, I'm going to go out there and be a hero and win the Medal of Honor and uh, be, like, super famous and everyone's going to talk about me. They're the people who are like, I'm just going to do my job and do it as well as I can and uh, just, like, try to make sure that me and my buddies get home safe and we complete our mission. And next thing you know, you're, like, fighting off 200 German soldiers in a broken um, in a broken tank turret with nothing but a heavy machine gun, a bunch of grenades, and two giant brass balls. Um, sure, that's the case sometimes, but you said that you like to donate even a little more than you thought you should to things that you think are effective, like AMF. Like, sure, why does AMF exist? It's sure. because of people doing this, making it exist. Sure, but I don't think I'm saving the world by doing that. I think it's a, I think it's a good thing for me to do mm-hmm. for like because it helps me develop skills and mental habits that are good to have do you think it's a good thing for amf to exist because if they didn't you'd have to give your money to the local church which is far less effective right yes i i think it's a good thing for it to exist but i think if you are a worker for not amf specifically because they have like a fairly narrow mandate but like uh give well say for Uh, listeners amf is the against malaria foundation yes uh, if you're a worker for GiveWell, say, like your job is, I think you will be a better GiveWell researcher if you show up to work saying, I I want to be the best researcher I can be and do really good research, mm-hmm. then you will if you go into work daydreaming about being a hero who's saving the world. All right, so having met a bunch of EA people who got into EA to help save the world personally, that's what you just described as approximately 100% of people. It's just people who want to help, and they're like, how can I help? I know how okay. to do data science, or I know how to do this and this. And so... Is there a company? Out th- there is. There's a give well. I will work for them. Like it's that is movement EA. It, it's people who just want to help the world and who have some skills, and so they sign up to work for uh, give well or AMF or some other place like that. Yeah, maybe. I guess movement EA might not be the best way to describe what I'm uh, getting at. Like maybe EA influencers would be better. Okay. Um, like there is a subset of people who self-describe as EAs and who talk about it a lot that are, like, self-aggrandizing and not particularly good at being people. <laughs> well, it sounds like SBF was one of those. Are also, yeah, and that's the point I'm making. Yeah. Um, but people like SBF, so, I think, are yeah. the whatever, distinct whatever. minority. Whatever label you want to attach to those people, like, imagine I said that instead of movement EA, if you think of something else when you think of movement. Okay, so you think self-aggrandizing sociopaths suck? 
Yes. And I agree with you. That has okay. nothing to do with EA, aside from they have as many of those as any other organization does. I, I just wanted to say that, like, you know, like you said, with virtue ethics, you know, the idea is that if everyone tries to f- focus some of their, their attention on being a virtuous person and cultivating a virtuous life, then the world will be saved through that. Some portion of their time will be spent talking to people who aren't yet virtue ethicists about why they might think about considering it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, so I th- I th- that's what I, when I think of community EA, that's what I think of. And so I just wanted to get that out before you said specifically the celebrities. And yet, you know, the influencers, like I, Will McCaskill have to fuck up seriously bad for me to be like, oh yeah, he turns out he did a net negative, right? And not like an utilitarian talk of, you know, util- utilities and whatever, but like his actual impact was bad. Same with like Peter Singer. Mm-hmm. Like the that guy might have, single-handedly led the charge that has reduced the suffering of animals of billions of animals on the planet right and sure it took like 40 years but it's it's entirely possible that without him it's not to take another 80 right mm-hmm. like so you know i think i think that the titans in, in different fields of whatever i think they, they can have a lot of value you run the risk of them you know fumbling really hard or having been an asshole secretly the whole time mm-hmm. right so you know be careful with it and I was going to say, you know, if there was like a, a virtue champion that was out there talking about how awesome that was and going on book tours on their new virtue book, that'd be great. <laughs> and then if they were secretly an asshole, that would suck. And yet they wouldn't secretly be an asshole because they're a virtue ethicist. So if they, if they were actually eating their own Kool-Aid, there's no way that they could, go, that they could uh, you know, end up being a bad person like the way that a, utilit- a utilitarian might uh, go a little too far into robot territory and become a bad person, right? No, I think... There's just as many sociopaths in virtue ethicism as, and that are virtue um, ethicists believe in virtue ethics as uh, any other system. I'm prepared to I'm prepared to guess that somebody's going to say no, there aren't. By definition, they can't really be, and they'll know tr- they'll know true Scotsman that. <laughs> I, you know, yeah, sociopaths yeah. will neatly chameleon into any sort of moral system that they think will get them ahead. I disagree with the hypothetical person you were suggesting exists. I think it is possible to have sociopaths whose sociopathy manifests in them talking about virtue ethics but not i just think that uh okay sure (laughs) but no i i I didn't mean to interrupt and i feel like we are getting kind of far afield and i was more having fun Um, with that example than like seriously gearing up a a hill to die on yeah i think that and i recognize the self-criticism in this as someone who talks about virtue ethics a lot i think a good virtue ethicist should be suspicious of anyone who talks too much about virtue ethics, <laughs> uh, specifically to avoid that dynamic. And I think one of the big benefits of virtue ethics is that when the sociopathy comes to light, there aren't as many easy defenses as like, I made a positive expected value bet and happen to lose. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, because yeah. that's the thing is you can be a sociopath, like, you know, the the absurdist argument of like, well, the doctor who sacrifices one homeless person to save five people, like, it's that per- not an absurdist argument. There are utilitarians who take that example very seriously, but go on. There are people who take their religion so seriously to blow themselves up. Yeah. But uh, you know, I, I guess I would say like there what the thing is, is that just like the people who blow themselves up for God, there actually is a way to interpret the the letter of the of the of the written word that leads them to that conclusion but it's not the way that they probably should david you uh, ask like the, you act like there's no virtue ethicist that would not sacrifice a homeless man to save five other people 
that would sacrifice only the They're... only the right amount of homeless people, not too many, yeah. not too little, right? <laughs> right. And they will only they'll only spend the right amount of time advocating for virtue ethics, ethics, right? Yeah, and for sacrificing homeless people, right? There's certainly some way you can be like, this is the most virtuous thing to do, given the virtues. I mean, sure. Okay. Well, but like. That would be getting too far afield, and I, I'm i tired. Uh, listeners, I I started recording this after, like, an hour of downtime, after a nine-hour drive across the most mind-numbing part of America to drive across. So sorry if I'm not quite firing on all cylinders right now. I still want to get my psychedelic experience of driving across Kansas alone and sober. <laughs> Apparently, this is just a crazy thing. Yeah. And you were going to do it without an hour of downtime. Total champion here. I, I don't have the... It's a 40-minute drive for me, and I get tired, so I'll never complain mm. again. <laughs> uh, two other quick things about it. A lot of uh, EA people are going through the thing right now where they're being very self-flagellating and saying, how could we not have seen this? We should have seen this. How have we... Let's examine how we failed. And uh, at, as has been pointed out uh, at least a couple times, there was a major capital company. Um, what was it? Solarium? Solaris? Something like that. Whose job is to do due diligence and see if things are scams or not. And they invested millions of dollars in this. So if a major investment firm is going to get scammed by this, you're probably not going to do a better job. Stop beating yourself up and... As was said from in this tweet, um, EAs have a God complex, and I think that part is true because one of the things that we all, I guess, admit in EA, even though it's not the healthiest thing, as we also all admit, is that uh, as Harry Potter James Evans Varus said, when you can't do the right thing unless you become God, the correct answer is to become God. <laughs> and so there is a bit of a God complex, but we're not God, and we can't beat ourselves up for not being God, so don't do that. And uh, the other thing is a number of people are thinking like, should I return all the money that I got from SBF and FTX's future fund to make whole the people have, that have been fucked by this? And in addition to it being only the tiniest drop in the bucket, um, Eliezer posted a essay about, no, you shouldn't, especially not if you've already spent the money, especially not if it's for something that you've already done. And uh, most likely not if it's up for something you're still going to do. Because more than anything else, you were being paid to do a job. And that job is a philanthropic job. But you're already taking a more risky career in philanthropy. You're already taking a wage cut uh, to work in philanthropy. And there is no other industry that is going to be returning some of the money FTX sent them. There's a stadium in florida who sold the rights to name their uh stadium to ftx and they sure are not going to be returning money at least not a decent portion of that money they're keeping it even though it was gotten through this illegal bullshit uh there's the electric utility that gave electricity to ftx and part of that was to cover costs and part of that was profit and they're not going to return the profit for that electricity to uh to the ftx account holders who have been robbed like it's just that that's not a thing you do and everyone thinks that if you work in philanthropy you should be a complete martyr and destroy yourself and you are not accountable for this is basically uh, the gist of the essay i think i agree with him and i'm going to link the essay as well 
I would encourage the utilitarians to keep beating themselves up because watching utilitarians beat themselves up for dumb reasons give me gives me infinite utility. And I'm probably lying about that, but do you really want to take that chance? I was hoping you'd say that. That's awesome. The and yes, I realize that Pascal's wager is dumb and it's the first thing that all utilitarians throw out the window. I make fun of you because I love you. Fist bump. Um, I don't really love you. You're fine. Jesus. You're like stop out, digging. Eight stop out digging. Of 10. <laughs> so the only the only person who I think should be wringing their hands, wondering do I do I burn everything to try and make these people whole again is SBF himself. Oh, he's probably going to jail. Well, I know, but like this, it doesn't strike me as impossible, and this actually is a sort of fun thing to consider. Let's say that after all the the dust settles, he's left with a you know a mere twenty five billion dollars. I don't know how much, let's say he robbed people of a total of $10 billion. If he could liquidate everything and pay them back, he could, right? He could, he could fix all the problem. You know, he, he could at least, he could, he could make right the, he could fill the bank accounts that he emptied, right? Uh, no, I think right now all he has is the few hard assets, like his house in the Bahamas oh. and some cars and shit. I was going to say hypothetically, uh, then, then the fun trade-off would be like, should he do that? Or should he give 10 million, 10 billion in cash to effective, effective charities? <laughs> I mean, obviously he should... Not only, obviously, uh, the law would compel him to first uh, make whole all the people that got would, stolen would, from. Would the Bahamas law compel him to if he stayed out of off, offshore? Actually, yes. Oh, lame. He should go to a, a cooler place, let him do whatever he wants. <laughs> like if, North if, Korea. If, if you're gonna be, if you're gonna be a criminal, who your financial criminal, get buy your summer house in a uh, in a country that'll let you get away with whatever you want, right? I mean, I heard, all the assets. Have I heard been Iran has some lovely real estate. <laughs> All the assets have already been frozen, but yeah, there's there's no way people are making all the money back. It's just, it's not there. That's I, I appreciate the impulse of people who want to be like, well, what can I do to help the people who got fucked over? Yeah. And yet, like, when, insert giant bank, whatever, get you know, fucks up and whatever, everyone loses, you know, a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. Like, the employees who work for that bank aren't like, well, should I sacrifice my retirement to bring those people whole again? Yeah. Like, it's just not your problem. Yeah. Like, it sucks. And hopefully, you know, something will happen to help make things right for these people. But, like, it's not, maybe I'm a bad effective altruist or bad utilitarian, <laughs> but, like, it's, I'm, I'm totally capable of saying it's not your problem, man. You don't have nearly enough guilt, Stephen. I, you know, that's, I don't have enough anything. I don't have enough. <laughs> that could be, like, the subtitle of my autobiography. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, I guess get that's all of that if we're done with that, which went on a lot longer than it was supposed to for a pre-show thing. This well, might just be... The meat of the show, I guess, at this point. It's probably the meat of the show, but it does transition neatly into a subject that we can spend a little time on, because one of the things that you said that people are wondering is, like, where did we go wrong? You know, what can we do to avoid this again? Mm -hmm. Which is always useful of asking, you know, whenever something gets fucked up, right? Even Mm -hmm. if, like, you, upon investigation, you're like, man, all the experts agreed with me. You still might want to know, like, okay, well, is there anything that I can do in the future? Other than, like, do safer financial and planning... Like that, that probably the only thing I can think of, right? Don't invest your retirement in crypto. Mm-hmm. And that's probably a really smart move. Um, and also don't re- invest your retirement in the company that you work for. Right. Right. Speaking of sound financial planning, mm-hmm. should, uh, uh, Inyash, are you going to introduce the main segment? We figured we do have an economist here with us. You got your PhD last year or this year? Uh, I have not yet gotten my PhD Don't. because I am not strictly speaking employed and I am too worried about money to do research. Uh, so I'm still wrapping up my dissertation, but I'm optimistic about the job issue being resolved soonish. 
Uh, though, if any listeners to this are hiring data scientists, let me know. But yep. yeah, have not gotten the PhD yet. I do have a master's degree in economics and, you know, a bachelor's in econ with a CS minor. Not sure why I decided to read my entire resume. Like I said, I'm not firing on all cylinders right now. It's always nice to be like, hey, I got a few bona fides. Look yeah. at them. Uh, so when, since we have you here in the studio, we figured we would ask you things like, what, what should we do with our money if we are fortunate enough to have some extra money? Okay. Yeah, so um, before I start, like, talking about the actual method I use, I just want to do a little bit of basic theory. Mm. And that is that in managing personal finance, there is a trade-off between how many degrees of freedom you end up having in your finances and how much bookkeeping you're going to end up doing. So a lot of people try to, like, track very granular categories, like track individual purchases that they make for stuff. That's the biggest failure mode I've observed for people being unable to maintain a budget. It's just too much bookkeeping. They want to be able to allocate their budget at, like, a very fine level, and they can't sustain it. Another mistake I see a lot of people making is they break things up the way they see them broken up on bank statements, like by category of spending, uh, where by category, I mean, like they were government economists analyzing the amount of each type of good and, and or service in the economy mm-hmm. and not in terms of their relationship to that kind of spending. So a good example would be like people will treat groceries and eating out as food, despite the fact that some people might be really prone to overspending on eating out, but they can be restrained in the grocery store. And as long as they're buying their own food and cooking it at home, they're not going to overspend on food. Eating out is basically entertainment. Yeah. But, like, even if you're just thinking in terms of food versus entertainment, then I would say you're already doing something wrong. So what I do uh, is I break my finances into broad categories, and each of these categories has nuances. But the broad categories are automatic spending, routine spending, fun money, and whatever's left over. What I mean by each of those, uh, automatic spending is anything that gets auto-drafted out of your bank account. So rent, Patreon subscriptions, utilities, etc. And those, because they can end up being a bit death by a thousand cutsy, that's the only category I really recommend tracking purchases on an item by item basis. Hmm. So I would just like have a have a spreadsheet with a description of what the purchase is, how much you're paying per month, or like you can amortize things if you want to track it annually or whatever. But I do it by month. 
I personally once found out that I had spent like $180 over a year on a streaming subscription, which I had forgotten that I had and didn't use. Yep. I was like, that sucks. I could have used those $200. I, I should have canceled that long ago. I just didn't realize I still had it. Yep. Yeah. And uh, if you ever find that more money is vanishing from your bank account every month than you think it should, just like do a quick rundown of the list and uh, see what you think you can kick or like if you have something that you haven't used in the past month but you think you might next month then like highlight it in yellow and if you say the same thing to yourself again highlight it in red and anything that you haven't used in the past month that's highlighted in red you're possibly rationalizing something and you should seriously consider dropping it you can always get the subscription again if you need it again. Yeah. Yeah, as far as I know, things like Netflix and Hulu, you don't pay like a... You definitely don't pay a cancellation fee. Right. Yeah. And I imagine that if you want to start up again, it's as easy as you're just doing it. Mm -hmm. yeah. you know, and other than the trouble of how annoying it would be to do that every weekend or something, when you want to watch Hulu on the weekends or something, I don't know if there's anything actually stopping you from doing that. Canceling your service for five days a week. Don't you pay for the first month when you first get it? Oh, that's a good point. Maybe not. Or maybe... I, I mean, I signed up for Netflix back when they only had dvds right so i don't know what they do these days yeah. so automatic spending i like that you put or i thought it was interesting that you put things like patreon and rent in the same category because you're right they're both they're all auto drafted but one of those strikes me as like fun or like not fun money because it's like one of the things you cut fun, fun money has a very specific meaning i'll get into that later but one's definitely more discretionary than the other if I'm coming on lean times, Patreon might be the first thing to go, yeah. right? Maybe even before Netflix. Unless it's the Patreon for the Bayesian Conspiracy. <laughs> yes, of course. Or the Mind Killers. Right. But the goal here is to, A, end up in a sensible place on the bookkeeping versus degrees of freedom trade-off, and to categorize things by you, the person doing your own finances, relationship to the spending. If you're the kind of person who really enjoys, like, playing accounting simulator video games and you really just absolutely love doing the bookkeeping, then I'm not going to yell at you if you want to break things up into more nuanced categories. Uh, you you can make that trade-off for yourself if you're listening to this episode and using the advice. I'm sure you're an adult or a podcast that denies that children... Uh, shouldn't have agent. Whatever. Adulthood is not determined by your age at this podcast. It is determined by your mental capabilities. That's the thing I was trying. Children to say. shouldn't have money or responsibilities. Yes. <laughs> <Right>. Um, <laughs> children don't yes. have money or responsibilities. Once you do have money and responsibilities, you're not quite a child anymore. Yeah. Sure. Let's go with that. Um. <laughs> anyway, uh, next category is routine spending, and this is easier to define in contrast to fun money so i'll go ahead and define them together uh fun money is anything that you will overspend on if you just like do your normal routines so like the the black holes of your pocketbook whatever those may be could be books could be eating out it could be going to the movies just whatever it is that like you don't think about spending money on in the moment, but looking back over your 
credit card statements, you find the total balance is much higher than you want it to be. And those are the items where like a lot of that money is going. So that's your fun money. I'm trying to think, does that, does that exist? Like, can you think of anything in your life, Stephen, that... Yeah, eat, eating out is probably my... You know? I can assure you it exists. My uh, cousin has a, a book addiction. If she lets herself, she will spend every available dollar she has on books. I went out to breakfast this morning, mm -hmm. and it was a place that was more expensive than I thought it was going to be. It was mm -hmm. good, mm -hmm. but I'm also going out to dinner. Okay. So, so today I will be spending way too much on, like, food. But I'm also enjoying, you know, again, it's, yeah. the, it's the other stuff around it. But yeah, I think that it, it is one of those things where month, you can look back at a month and be like, wow, I spent $600 eating out or something. Like, that can happen. I mean, I sometimes, I know I'm spending too much, but I never have this thing where it's just like, I, I find out about it later. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm spending too much tonight, but you know what? It's fun. I don't care. I'll go ahead and do it. I never really swipe my card without knowing how much something costs too. But maybe it's the, like you said, death by a thousand cuts. If you if you if you ever do micro transactions on a phone game or something, yeah, yeah. And if that's more of your subjective experience, then that sounds like the same thing to me. My suggested solution might not be as effective, but that does sound like you're describing spending fun money. Okay. Uh, routine spending is anything that isn't. One of the other two categories I've talked about so far. Okay. So like car maintenance? Yeah. Uh, car maintenance, gas, groceries, uh, if you aren't like a Trader Joe's treats addict. If you just put your brain on autopilot and let yourself swipe the credit card, you won't end up with a far too big number on your statement at the end of the month. And I say credit card specifically here because... My recommended way you handle that is actually by putting it all on a credit card, paying it off at the end of the month, and then tracking your monthly averages. And then I would, I usually target like my 80th percentile, and then any uh, extra, when I'm budgeting, I will budget my 80th percentile of the spending for the amount I budget on a monthly basis. I'll hold some in reserve just like as a buffer against going over the 80% threshold and then the rest I'll push into the everything else category. Nice side effect of uh, putting everything on credit card. Uh, as long as you keep paying it off every month, your credit rating keeps going higher, which makes things much cheaper in the future, makes you a, <laughs> a better human according to the Credit Human <laughs> Worthiness Index. And uh, also, uh, eventually you start getting credit cards where they're like, for every dollar you spend, we'll give you a penny back at the end of the month. And yeah. uh, that's, that's always nice because then yeah. everything is 1% cheaper. Yep. Then for fun money, I started out using a more derogatory name for fun money, but stopped because I was talking to a lot of EA types who were like, oh, I shouldn't be spending anything on fun money. No. Oh, what did you call it? Oh, I don't remember. It was something like uh, discretionary spending. Discretionary is more derogatory than fun? Apparently. Huh. Um, so I don't advocate not spending anything on it. In fact, I advocate the opposite. Uh, you should spend money on fun money because usually those are going to be your really high utility items. So if you think that you should use any of your money to buy utility for yourself, which is something that you should think, then your fun money is going to be that category. So does that include putting things in savings? No, savings is 
part of the everything else. But aren't you buying utility for your future self if you put things in savings? Uh, it's buying utility for your present self. I okay. should have clarified. <laughs> Fair enough. What I recommend you do is find a fun money budget and then you pull out that quantity of cash at the beginning of the month. Again, like my goal here is to make this system as modular as possible for people to swap in and out modules for whatever works for them. For me personally, counting out a bunch of bills is very aversive. Hmm. And uh, seeing the stack get shorter <laughs> is also pretty aversive. So uh, doing my fun money in cash works really well for me because they don't stop me from spending the money, but they do pump the brakes on my lizard brain reaching for that dopamine in a way that swiping the debit card or the credit card doesn't. I've gotten feedback that like not everyone has the same relationship to cash as I do, but that works really well for me. And if it works for you at all, it probably works really well. You know, watching the number go up and down on my phone, you know, when I check my statements, yeah. isn't the same as watching my physical pile of money change. But you say if it works at all, it works really well. This, I think it works adequately for mm -hmm. me. But I used to have, you know, I used to manage all my stuff with cash. Then it's like, you know, you can see everything you have left dwindling. And that actually is like this... I think that hits your lizard brain really hard. Watching a number go down is like, ah, oh, I like it when numbers go up, but it doesn't kill me when they go down, right? <laughs> yeah. But it, it gets the job done for me, I guess, right now. I was thinking the other day, I don't know if either of you guys are aware of it. Maybe someone in the audience is. If so, ping me, Steven, on Discord. I was wondering if there's like, maybe there's a Venmo address or something where it's like, man, I just, I, I just stopped myself from spending two bucks on a microtransaction on my phone. I'm going to spend a buck and send it to an effective charity instead. Maybe there's a Venmo address that GiveWell has or something that I can send them, but... There is a The Life You Can Save app. Nice! Um, it is basically what you just described. It's It lets you donate like $1 to $10 to an assortment of effective charities. That's awesome. It's got five yeah. re five stars, but also only five reviews on the, mm -hmm. on the Apple App Store. Doesn't sound very effective to me. You should uh, download it, see if it works, and then review it. I yeah. will. Cool. Thanks for the heads up. Yeah. So yeah, that's the spending portion. I'm not really addressing income because like that's really hard to change. So if you can increase your income, do. But I don't have any super specific advice on how to do that. The money that you set aside for savings, that counts yeah. as part of the um, that second category? Uh, savings is the everything else category. So the, the connection between routine spending and everything else spending is if you budget money for routine spending and your going over budget pot is full, then you just dump that into your everything else. Okay. And you don't dump it into fun money. Uh, you can if you want. But it'd be more prudent not to, and that's one of the virtues. So so there is actually a fun category of everything else. Hmm. I do like to um, put overflow from routine into that category more aggressively. And since I budget for the 80th percentile, I almost always have some excess. I just don't like getting into that habit so that when I go through lean times like it is for me right now, it's easier to adapt to that if I'm not used to um, having more fun money than I have budgeted. 
Although, if you do have fun money left over at the end of the month, you can roll that over if you want. Um, and again, you can do whatever you want with this system because it's supposed to be modular for whatever it works for you personally. But I do like to roll over my fun money. So everything else. Hmm. Uh, everything else has three big buckets, uh, two of which have smaller buckets in them. And you could put smaller buckets in the first, but I don't. So the first bucket is your rainy day fund. So there's that viral stat that occasionally makes its way around the internet about how most Americans can't handle a surprise $500 expense. Uh, there's some issues with that statistic, but if you don't want to be one of those people, this is the category for you. Uh, so just figure out how much cushion you are happy with and will let you sleep soundly at night and have that much money. Uh, so if you have really good health and car insurance, then you could get away with like 5,000 bucks. If you are more neurotic, then you might want to keep like 50,000. Um, so I'm assuming this is not purely liquid cash. This uh, is just stuff that could be easily got. Uh, yeah, I would, I would keep this really high liquidity. Um, like just like, but again, like something the, you can the, access within a few days or a week. Yes. Okay. Um, and the quantity like really just comes down to your psychology and your risk profile. Um, cause I was about to say, I would never keep 50,000 in cash. Yes. That's neither way I. too much. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I would, I have a special savings account for it. Like savings account still basically is cash though. It's just money at a bank, right? Yeah, pretty yeah. much. This sounds really weird to say because 20 year old me is thinking $5,000, you fucking maniac. Where are you going to get that kind of money? <laughs> so I, I want to say like, you know, around 5,000 ish, yeah. but, uh, the 50,000 I put like in stocks that I can easily access. Like most places you can sell within three, four days. I'm not endorsing the 50,000. Okay. I'm just giving that as an example of how, like, if you want to go crazy with this category, you can. Also, if you're a multimillionaire, it's probably much easier to just be like, yeah, I got 50,000 sitting in the bank, whatever. Sure. Yeah. So that's an easy sub-subcategory. No, we're only one level of sub now. Um, category two, very apropos for this discussion, is uh, donation. What I like to do is figure out what percentage of my everything else category comes out to... 10% of my pre-tax income, and then use that percentage. So I, figure out the average. Let's say 40% of your income is everything else. You're saying rather advisement of taking donating 10% so, of your income. You say, how about I donate 10% of my expendable income? Not 10% of your expendable income. The percentage of your expendable income, your everything else, that amounts to 10% of your total pre-tax income which is what Giving What We Can recommends. So if 40% of your income is everything else, then I guess 25% of that would be donation. Okay, because that comes out to 10% of your total. Yes. Okay, okay. And it would specifically be for the like EA buying utils component of donation. So my my util purchases per month are done on an auto-draft basis. Sure. So is that, is that category one or category three sub two? Whichever one you'd rather track it in. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> the difference would be 
if you like to use your donations as a shock absorber for your personal finances, then it would be 4 sub 2. If you like to just donate that percentage no matter what your own personal finances are doing, then it's category 1. Personally, I like having a bit of flexibility in my budget without knowing that I'm going to be unable to make rent. So I keep it in the everything else category. But if you are comfortable that you'll be able to meet your basic expenses, then you can just do it auto-draft. And if it's easier for you to just not have to worry about it, then that's fine too. On average, they'll come out to the same thing. Because sometimes I'll have more money uh, going into everything else, and sometimes I'll have less. So month to month, my donation might be more than 10% before tax, or it might be less than 10%. But on average, it'll come out the same. Then the other category of donations is like community building or buying warm fuzzies or whatever you want to call it. Donating to arts organizations or churches or community groups or whatever it is you might want to donate to that isn't ea approved i feel like this basically encompasses my patreon donations right yeah i mean none of my patreon donations i think could reasonably be characterized as effective uh, effective donations sure Uh, um i would call those fixed yeah some months i'll see the email in my inbox that's the receipt and some months yeah. I just, I miss it, right? Yeah. And that that's my level of tracking that I do for my Patreon stuff. Yeah. Yeah, all right. It's more like cutting a check to a local food bank during Christmas or something. Yeah, anything that is auto-drafted and that you can't easily do anyway other than auto-draft or don't want to or whatever would go there. But again, there's some blurriness and ambiguity there if you do like having your donations be automatic. You've mentioned something that I, I can't resist the urge to stop on for a second, which was cutting a check for, uh, to your local food bank for uh, during Christmas, which if you're inclined to do, if like so, so donations to food banks go way up around this time of year, right? Mm-hmm. And people donate tons of food. Mm-hmm. And I'm imagining an argument with an anti-effective altruist who was like, well, I feel really good when I load the car with a 26-pound ham and drive it across the city to the food bank and drop it off. And, you know, I get to heft this thing in there. It makes me That feels really nice. It's like, yeah, but it's going to rot on the shelf with the other with the thousand other pounds of hams that are donated, right? Mm-hmm. Give them a check. And that way you're actually helping somebody. And so this is where, like, I, I feel like people who quibble about is that effective or whatever. It's like, how, is, is your local food bank the most effective use of your money? Probably not. But... I don't think there's anything wrong with giving money to your local food bank, right? Mm-hmm. And so, but if you're going to if you're going to help your local food bank and that's what you care to help, actually help them, right? That that's where I like I I think I mentioned this distinction before between like my I don't know lo, like my lower case effective altruism and my uppercase effective altruism. Lowercase is just do whatever you're doing like the best you can, right? Yeah. And then you know uppercase is find the you know the most important causes or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway end rant <laughs> give your food banks money they can buy all the food they need with that money yeah they can they can also go shopping money has a longer shelf life <laughs> yeah unless you work at a that place that we talked about for an hour ftx yeah okay FTX, yeah don't don't Too give soon? crypto give actual money <laughs> crypto is not real money 
alas. Well, money is not real money. Well, okay, but crypto is less real money than even fiat money. Sure. So one last category, and it's honestly kind of the whopper. Okay. Uh, last category is savings. Oh, oh. Uh, so. I thought it was going to be sexcapades, and I was excited when you started with an <laughs> S, but savings, no, that's also... No, that, that's yeah. fun money for most people. I assume there are some people for whom it's routine spend. <laughs> uh, so savings. Again, there's two different categories here. First one also has two categories in it. So first category, super category, is short-term saving. First subcategory of that super category is short-term saving for specific stuff. Like Mm. you're saving up for a new car or a new computer or whatever. Essentially what you do is you figure out how much you want to put towards this every month or whatever. And personally, I like to work backwards. Say like, I want to buy a new computer in six months. Here's the price. Here's my income. What percentage needs to go towards this for me to hit that goal? And then use that to uh, calculate the monthly percentage. That's kind of a fun way to do purchases, isn't it? Because then you get to like, oh, you know, over the course of the six months or whatever I'm planning on saving for this, it's not all that much money, right? Depending on what you're saving for. I I do this and now I'm going to sound like a complete, well, I'll lean into it. I'll sound like an asshole. Hmm. Uh, The only like real... Out of country vacation. Well, no, I went to Japan in 2017, but we we went on a honeymoon in 2019 mm-hmm. to a to a resort in Cancun. It was awesome. We mm-hmm. were there for five days, I think, for like two thousand dollars, give or take a couple hundred bucks. Cool. And so, like in my head, I'll look at stuff and be like, "Oh man, that's that's 25 percent of a Cancun trip," you mm-hmm. know. And yeah. so, like, I know that's like probably the the among the douchiest things I could say, but <laughs> yeah. we have, it's not like we go every year. We want to go again, and then the years keep slipping by. We'll yeah. go soon. It's actually really good to put things in terms of percentage of a thing that you want. When I was a kid, I would be like, yeah, oh, that's, you know, that's 10% of a new Nintendo game or something like that. Yeah. The other thing that I do if it's not a Cancun vacation is I think, man, that's, that's you know, 10% of you know our monthly mortgage payment. Mm, and I'm yeah. going to spend that on a mobile game? No, thank you. Right? Right. Uh, or so, something like that, right? Yeah. Jesus, 10% of a mortgage payment on a mobile I'm game? I'm just making up a number. Okay. Yeah. okay. So, <laughs> Although I'm sure there's people that do that. And, you know... Mm-hmm. No, no judgment. Just as long as it's easy, it's easy to lose money on. It's you know, a little bit of judgment. <laughs> it, it, it's e- it's easy to lose track of how much you're spending on those things. Yeah. So that's that's the careful thing. But yeah. yeah, yeah. So the other category, and personally, this is actually where I put vacations, is things that you're not trying to hit a specific goal in terms of money, but things that you're like spending on on an annual basis, or that like you just want to earmark some money for vacations or whatever. If it's annual stuff, like say a Christmas budget, you just put money into it. And then however much money you have at the end of the year, that's how much you spend. You spend all of it. I figure we're probably going to get this question. When you say put money into it, are you having multiple bank accounts that you split the money up between? Yes. Yes. Oh. I was just about to get to that. Oh, okay. Um, See, I was I was expecting that you were going to be like, they're imaginary accounts that I have on my Excel spreadsheet, but I only have yeah. one bank account. Yeah. No. So um, I would recommend that you actually literally set up separate checking accounts for each each short-term saving goal. And then like if you want to have say one that it's just you're running one for whatever short-term saving thing you're saving for right now and like it's a computer and when you buy the computer 
you might start saving for a car, or you might just, like, distribute that money among the other categories for a while. Mm-hmm. Or you might just let savings accumulate, so when you do find a big-ticket item you want to spend on, you're already partway there. Just whatever you want to do with it when uh, you don't have a big-ticket item you're saving for, just do whatever feels right to you. And then for the ones that you just want to let accumulate, either for a year or until like it seems like an amount that you could vacation on and have a lot of fun or whatever, I would recommend having separate accounts for each of those. When it comes time to actually spend them, especially for travel accounts, I would actually try to find a credit card for that. Because a lot of times if you shop around, you'll be able to find like travel-specific rewards instead of just the 1% off. And especially if you go on a lot of vacations, those can really add up to non-trivially more than just using your 1% card that you use for routine spending. Huh. Um, what, I've, what I've generally seen is, um, I don't know, I haven't looked into it that much, I will admit. But uh, I think what I saw was basically you get one one mile or one point or something along those lines per dollar spent. And roughly those usually translate to about a penny each. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, isn't they, that just basically a 1% thing? They translate to that on average mm-hmm. uh, for most people's spending patterns. Mm-hmm. But some uh, some will, like, give you 5% on anything you spend on flights. Okay. Uh, but And 0% on other stuff. I see. Okay. Uh, and so if... so. If you have a whole bunch of accounts with a whole bunch of banks and you're uh, tracking them and like which one gives you rewards for which stuff, again, it's not a huge amount of money, but it does add up over time. So it really comes down to your personal preference for doing a bunch of accounting versus um, just like having a system that's easy to put on autopilot. I'm very much in the autopilot category. Personally, I like uh, I like shopping around for credit card rewards. Um, I think you'll find it if you've never tried it. I think you'll find it more rewarding, haha, <laughs> and um, and less work than you probably think. So I would recommend you at least take a crack at it. There do tend to be cards that specifically will do travel. Uh, rewards that'll give really generously for like flights, eating out, uh, other things that people tend to spend on uh, hotels, and they can give and extra so, rewards for that because people almost never buy those things. They'll use yeah. it to buy groceries. Where, haha, we give no rewards. Exactly. Yeah. So, you- so, uh, yeah, I would start out by finding a travel credit card. And uh, just like most of the time, leave it shoved to the back of the drawer in your nightstand, except when you're taking your every other year trip to Cancun, and then break it out and rack up a bunch of points, and next flight to Cancun, you might need not need to actually pay for your plane tickets. I have a question. Yeah. It sounds like you went through all your buckets, and yet I did not hear a bucket for long-term investments. I think he said that savings is, was, was yes, two buckets. That's, yes, so we, that's the uh, that's the other super 
it's the other sub bucket of savings. Okay. And um, I kind of feel like I almost feel like it's negligent to make that a sub bucket rather than its own bucket because I think these it's one of the best things for having like a a easier life later on. Savings, I think, is the is the general category of money I don't plan on spending right now, but yeah. I'm putting away for later, whether later is next year or later is in fifty years. Yeah. And I'm assuming just to show that I'm listening and thinking, mm-hmm. I'm guessing one subcategory of like long term savings is rainy day budget, right? Uh, like so... put in a few thousand dollars for whatever. So like, animal needs to go to the vet, you know, whatever. Like you you've got you know where that money's coming from. Yeah. So the rainy day fund I like keeping separately uh, because there is a uh, there's a what's called a liquidity payoff trade off. Um, when it comes to investment, basically for higher payout investments, on average, it'll be harder to get the money out in the short term. And since you don't know whether your rainy day fund will be like your car broke down, but your you can use your partner's car and like maybe even have a spare car. Uh, so it's not something you need to fix right now versus like you fell through a plate glass window and need surgery <laughs> right. like now. Uh, so I recommend keeping your rainy day fund really liquid. Um, long-term investment is the, it's the savings bucket without any sub buckets. And how much should people put in that? So again, that's something that's going to come down to your own personal preferences. Personally, I like to double my charity uh, so 2x whatever I'm donating, mm-hmm. donating effectively, n- not donating for warm fuzzies. But whatever you want to uh, allocate to that, again, depending on your psychology and circumstances, I'm not here to name specific numbers because that's going to be contingent on a lot of things about you personally that I don't know. But the strategy I use for this is essentially all investment markets are betting markets. And what you're betting on is whatever stock or commodity or whatever it is you're investing in, you are making an implicit bet that that thing is going to be important in the future. Uh, Specifically that it will be monetarily valuable in the future. Um, So... Uh, If you invest in crypto, then that is reflecting an assumption about what the future is going to look like. Namely, that decentralization and pseudonymity are going to be really important, but that capital intensity, energy intensity, and other like high-tech prerequisites are going to still be in place. Uh, if you are instead investing in canned food and ammunition, <laughs> then that's uh, reflecting an expectation that there's going to be like widespread societal breakdown and you'll need to worry about where your next meal's coming from and how you're going to defend yourself and your loved ones. Uh, if you invest in Google... That's uh, reflecting an assumption that Google will be the ones to win the race to build the first AGI and that the AGI's uh, utility function will be 
uh, treat Google investors very nicely <laughs> or, you know, whatever story about how Google takes over the world tickles your fancy. Yeah. Um, so again, I'm, I'm not a huckster. I'm not here to say you should invest in specific things. I am here to say that you probably shouldn't invest in gold just because gold has... For gold to be a sensible investment, you need to be making some really weird assumptions about what the future will be like. So basically, you're saying that the U.S. government will break down, or at least the U.S. dollar will uh, stop being worthwhile, and that this will cause like broader degra degradation in technological infrastructure, but that this also somehow won't collapse society to the extent that like the best investment strategy is bullets and beans right. um so yeah i see i see gold as like being sensible only for a very narrow sliver of possible futures where things get really bad but not too bad <laughs> and so i would personally recommend against it especially because um uh another possible future where it's important is one where boomers continue controlling everything onto people who are currently young being thinking about withdrawing their retirement because boomers really like gold because they don't understand that thing i just described <laughs> uh and that's why gold tends to be like a decent-ish short-term investment in, like, the 2000s, 2010s. Um, but the boomers are going to die off, probably. Or we're going to uh, cure death, and then, again, you're... Gold like, will be worthless. It's hard, hard <laughs> to see how we could win to that extent and still have gold be the most valuable thing that you could buy right now. Apropos that last hypothetical yeah. and savings, I remembered a comedian that I saw a while ago that I just lost when I pulled it up here, whatever. Her name was uh, Emily Ruskowski. Mm -hmm. And if you're on YouTube, it was like uh, social work and fancy vacations. Yeah. And she's, she's a social worker. It's like a 12 minute set. And she's describing how she likes going on fancy vacations and whatever. And she's like, now you might be wondering, how do I afford this stuff? Well, it's, it's easy. I don't save for retirement, <laughs> <laughs> so it's that's not a that's not a strategy I could in, I would endorse. But uh, you know, if you think the world, if you're really pretty sure the world's going to end in the next you know decade, why would you save for retirement? Yeah, um, I don't. Mm -hmm. Again, this is not advice. This is anti advice. But it's just it was mainly a funny funny set. Yeah. Um. So David. Do you think the world is going to end in the next decade? I am not short the world, so by revealed preference, no, I don't. Okay. Although my current investment portfolio, mostly because I liquidated my investments to help get through, or my easily liquidatable investments to help get through the unemployment, is approximately 100% guns and ammunition. So uh, <laughs> by revealed preference, my expectation of the future is Mad Max. Um, uh, oh, fuck, I forgot about something. Um, so that's what you should do with like maybe 10, maybe at most 20% of your uh, long-term savings. 
but you should never count out the um the best predictor of future performance is past performance so i would recommend putting most <coughs> sorry been talking a lot um i would recommend putting most whereby most i mean like a super majority of your savings into very stable funds that you are pretty sure will be there international index funds berkshire hathaway s&p 500 uh those of you who are fans of nasim taleb will rec- will recognize this as his recommended barbell strategy i endorse it for reasons that he lays out but my voice giving out seems like a signal that we should probably wrap this up i have a question uh, yeah. before we go if somebody were to um, think that there may be radical change coming, as in AI drastically changing the world by 2030 or so, yeah. what would be a place to put money where it might um, benefit you when that happens, if that happens? So that depends on what AI you think will make the radical changes, what changes you think they'll make. Uh, etc. So, like, if you very specifically think that, like, Google or Stability AI or whoever will be the winner, then just, like, directly invest in those companies. Because even if you don't think that they'll tell their AI to benefit their shareholders and screw everyone else, then, like, that's still going to be a phenomenally value pro- valuable product they have. And... There's no real way that ends other than Star Trek, we invest in ourselves, or the share price for that company ends up astronomically high. So anything you can get to uh, get any of that, like even if you're left with crumbs, they're still going to be crumbs of a cake so huge that you're going to be pretty dang well situated. So investment in things like Google, Meta, Tesla, um stable diffusion any any of yeah. the things that are researching ai's right now yeah um that that's if you think ai will be big but don't know who the winner will be why i uh if you don't if you're more agnostic about like picking the specific winner but think that a specific scenario is really likely uh then just whatever will be valuable in that scenario Uh, is what you should invest in. So, like, if you think the Age of M scenario is super likely, I think he recommends investing in real estate, in, like, like physical real estate in the areas where the M superclusters will be located. Okay. So, uh, and if you have, like, some opinions about both of those things, then diversifying is never a bad option. Uh, And again, it, or not again, but... I should say, just because it's an important thing to touch on, um, if you uh, are, if you have very strong opinions about what the future will be like, um, but don't, but feel like you're over investing in a particular thing, then uh, go, then err on the side of diversifying. So. Um, you are better off getting like 5% invested in uh, Google if Google AI is going to take over. 
uh, and 5% getting ready for Mad Max, <laughs> then you are, um, like, if for pretty much any assumption about the relative probabilities of those scenarios, unless it's like 99% one, 1% the other, that's going to be a better bet than, um, than, uh, going all in on one or the other because uh, just being marginally prepared for a lot of things will leave you better situated than a lot of people um in whatever scenario happens so uh yeah i would definitely advise you err on the side of diversifying and that is also just to wrap this back up around why you shouldn't invest in the company you work for. (laughs) Because then, if that company goes under, you lose both your job and your savings. Whereas, if you invest in their biggest competitor, don't do that, because then you're (laughs) vulnerable to industry-wide shocks. But just as a hypothetical, assuming the industry is solid, if you work for company A and invest in their biggest competitor, company B then whatever happens, you win. Either you have a job or you have uh, savings going to the moon. I was going to ask some, I was going to follow up with a couple things, but I feel like that's such a good wrap up, like circle back that might be worth ending on that note. Unless have, you want to dig in for another minute. I mean, I do have one final thing, yeah, which I hope will go, be fast. Go ahead okay. and ask more questions. We can use the magic of editing to fix it. Well, I was going to ask Inyash, or maybe you as well, but like I, I have difficulty imagining a, a scenario where, you know, I guess maybe if it was like, a super intelligence that could like whatever do some specific stuff really really well and make a lot of money but like if you're talking like end of the world or like world ending stuff i don't see what investment strategy makes sense for that like that was actually going to be the same question i was going to ask yeah because like I in mean, a future where there is almost no human labor uh that is that is worth doing except for i don't know maybe a few dozen people around the world but the vast majority of humanity doesn't have any labor they can do and also there's no material shortages and there's not much use for money in general what do you do with the money you have right now to prepare for that to inv- be well situated if that happens i have a so, i have one jumping so off so what what do you what in that scenario do you think will be valuable for humans to possess that's, that's... If the answer is nothing, then just like throw it all into fun money. You're, you're, <laughs> you can just uh, grab all the utils you can uh, while you can. Hookers and, and blow. This is true regardless of whether we end up in the Star Trek, we invest in ourselves utopia, or the paperclips dystopia. Yeah. If the future is invariant to any property humans can have, then... Like, the, the question of what you should invest in for that future is totally moot, and you don't need to invest for it. Uh, but you don't see any... if you think that, like, having education will mm. be um, more valuable, then get education. If you think being able to pr- produce great art will be more valuable, then, like, uh, get some art supplies and start practicing. Don't don't get art education because art education is it's nonsense. Bullshit. Just yeah. Just make good art. Um, if you think like having strong social ties will be more important, then start spending money on friends right now. Yeah. Yeah. That you guys hit both of the answers I could have thought of. If it's the good ending or the bad ending, like it doesn't really matter what you do with your money now, yeah. um, other than trying to have fun with it. And uh, I guess the only other thing might be like, I was going to say like try to move to where you, where you want to be. Mm. Um, 
before the world ends mm-hmm. uh just because you know i think it would be very good to at least inv- invest in having a community of people near you physically so that uh you have people that you know you can rely on within walking distance right on well i don't want to be the one to unilaterally declare this but i feel like we're not getting into the sequences this this episode which is totally fine Wait, we do have to do one last thing, which we do, um, I want to say every episode, but we didn't do it in the crossover episode, which is thank a patron. How could I forget? Yes. I'm the worst. Steven, who is this patron we are thanking? Our patron this episode is Blinry. Blinry. That's, that's the username. I, I, put the, I put the names that they have on Patreon on this list. Cool. Uh, Blinry, thank you so much. We're glad that we are in your recurring payments section of your portfolio. Uh, we hope that you continue to keep us there and that many other people also do that. This is the one Patreon where you can consider an effective donation. Uh, sure. Yes. One of two, the other being the mind. Game. Of course. Pe- pe- people, need <laughs> um, access, people need access to quality information. Yes. So. Uh, also, uh, Department of Corrections from like seven minutes in the future. <laughs> yes. What I said about don't not investing in the company you work for might change if your company has good stock options uh that's basically like the company offering you their stock on sale because you work there and if it's a good enough sale then go for it Mm -hmm. uh i would recommend you sell that stock fairly promptly and then re-diversify your portfolio but stock options don't always allow that uh, so if your if your specific company has a specific thing that they do around that, then like don't take that advice as gospel and follow it off a cliff. But like just think critically about what risks you're willing to take. And um, yeah, don't not take free money. Yes. Cool. Life pro tip. Yes. Uh, okay. I think that brings us to an end. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, any of you affected by FTX, we're really sorry and. I don't know. We, we hope things turn out okay. Yeah, sincerely. Mm-hmm. And high five again, Blinlery. Thank you very much. Fuck yeah. All right. See you in two weeks. Bye.